Today, she, she said, we're kind of continuing our series and looking at how to energize our faith. And specifically, we're, we're looking at how to vault our faith and do that by building kind of a strong foundation for, for our lives. And I think it's imperative because we live in a world that kind of tells us, you know what, make up your own rules. You know, that's your truth. This is my truth. And yet they can be totally opposite, but we say that's okay, you know. And, and the other extreme is uh, people that say, you know what, there really is no truth, so do what you want in, in life. And I believe personally that we need a, a source in our life that will kind of help us so that when we're going the wrong direction that uh, it gets in our head, that uh, it gives us some strength and some power to do the right thing in life. And I believe that's why the Bible exists. And Second Timothy, the third chapter, says the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach. Teach us what's true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what's right. You know, we talk about the Bible every week. Uh, every week when you're in church, uh, we look at different verses from Scripture. And I believe if we're going to vault our faith, that there's a question that we really need to address. And I'm just going to spend a few minutes on this. Uh, sometime down the road, we'll do an extensive look. But a lot of people say, how do I know that the Bible's true? You know, how do I know? Some of you have been wondering that. Some of you were bold enough to actually ask the question of uh, another Christian. And when you ask that question, how do we know the Bible's true? You got this answer. And let me know if you got this answer, because the Bible says so. How many of you have heard that? <laughs> All right, I'm an analytic, and I, I, I go, you know what? That's circular reasoning. That doesn't quite cut it in, in my world. And I'm going to be honest with you, that when all said and done, it really boils down to a question of faith. But I believe there's some evidence that supports our faith, that, that gives credence to the fact that what is in this book is true. You know, there's a lot of historical evidence in God's Word. You know, the Bible is rooted in history. It's, a, it's about real people, not made-up people, not made-up places, but real people and real places, and real things that actually happened. And again and again, people have tried to prove that this book is false. And, you know, I thought of a, a few examples where they, they've picked apart pieces of it. Like in the Old Testament, uh, there's a group of people called the Hittites. And I always like that name. It's kind of an odd name. But historians initially said, you know what, that's a major problem. Because we really got to question the authenticity of this book because they couldn't find a record in history of a nation called the Hittites. And then about 1906, some archaeologists were, were digging around in Turkey, and they unearthed a capital city. It was the Hittite capital city. They kept digging, and they found almost 40 cities that belonged to the Hittite empire. And so historians all of a sudden had to do a 180 and say, you know what? Mm, we were wrong. God's word was right. 
You know, Daniel 5 talks about a king of Babylon whose name is Belshazzar. Uh, if you've got a baby due before long, that's a really cool name. You might try it. They'll probably get teased a lot in school, but uh, I'm kidding, okay? Yeah, I'll have some kid in counseling 20 years from now. You know what my parents call me? Belshazzar because of you and, you know, so. But it said that Belshazzar was a king, and, and the archaeologists and historians said, can't be so. There is no Belshazzar in all the kings of Babylon. We can't find anything. The Bible isn't historically accurate here. That was until 1956, and archaeologists were digging again, and they unearthed three stones that were inscribed. It told about the king of Babylon decided to go to war with his, his army, and it meant he was going to be a long ways off in a faraway place fighting a faraway battle. And so before he left, he made his son, want to guess his name? Belshazzar. He made him king. Had to do a 180 again. A little more recent, 1990, there was a book released that when it hit, it rocked the Christian community. And in that book, they said that David and Solomon, big players in the Old Testament, were made-up names. Those men did not exist. And it was kind of unfortunate because when the book was released, again, I love archaeologists, Guess what they were doing? They were digging, and they unearthed in the capital city of Dan. They found a tablet from 831 B.C., and on that tablet, it talked about the king, King David of Israel. And then they dug around some more, and they unearthed more tablets that proved that there was a king named David, that he actually existed. They had to choke their words. Historians wrong. Bible right. So we got that kind of historical evidence. I think we got a reliability factor in God's word too. The fact is there are over 25,000 archaeological findings that substantiate what's in this book. Archaeology, you know, biblical prophecy... Uh, historical counts in the Bible, they're all on the same page. They're all moving in concert with one another. You know, renowned archaeologist uh, Nelson Gluck says this, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological study has ever controverted the Bible references. Hmm. Where, where there's a problem between history and the Bible As time rolls on, friends, those inconsistencies keep shrinking. There's less and less of them. There's not very many left. Those of you that are trivia buffs, the the New Testament, there are over 184,000 words in the New Testament. Scholars only have a problem with about 400 words in this book. And there are things that are grammatics, uh, spelling, uh, little bitty things, no major doctrinal issues. You know, how many of you have ever heard of Socrates and and Plato and Aristotle? Say hands. All right. How many of you have ever read the complete works of any one of those guys? Anybody? All right. Cliff notes? Let me see. (laughs) Well, you know what's interesting to me? Nobody has ever challenged the authenticity and accuracy of those great works. But you want to guess how many ancient documents 
of Plato and Aristotle that they have today? Ancient documents, they have less than 10. How about the Book of Mormon? Book of Mormon says that there was a vast civilization that existed in America between 600 B.C. and 400 A.D., and they name specific places, mountain ranges, uh, rivers, uh, cities, people. Now get this. There is not one shred of archaeological finding, scientific evidence to support anything in the Book of Mormon. Not one single word, not one word can they find. And yet, sadly, people believe the Book of Mormon. You know, but it's not true. It's not true. They don't have any, any backup. Now, I want you to guess, and I'm just going to isolate out the, the New Testament, but you want to guess how many ancient documents we have of the New Testament, just the New Testament. How many of you would feel good if there were five? Anybody? Would your faith be built if you had 10? You want to try 14,000 documents to compare and test the authenticity, the infallibility of the Bible, of God's Word. I mean, we have a true source that's backed up by history, by archaeology, and that can't be said of other major world religions. You know, you want to read more on the topic, I'd encourage you to get Joshua McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's a great read. But the fact is we've got something to stand on. I could fill this stage right now with people whose lives have been changed by this book. You know, the fact that the Bible has the power to change lives, I believe, is a proof as well. I mean, this book not only can energize you, it can change your life. It can make a difference. And what I want to do with the remainder of our time is talk about how do we vault our faith? How do we begin to build our lives on this truth? Matthew seven twenty four. It says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. You know, Jesus says, if you want a foundation for your life, if you want something that will help you stand through the tough times, he says, you know what? My words are like that. They will provide that. This book ultimately will provide that. You know, we've been looking at uh, different energy drinks, and uh, this is a can of Vault. Now, Vault, I'll have to admit, it's kind of a hybrid when it, when it comes to energy. And on the can, it says, you know, drinks like a soda, kicks like an energy drink. And what they're doing is they're trying to capitalize on the best of both worlds. They're saying, you know what, this is an energy drink. You know, it's full of caffeine and vitamin C and potassium, but... Not only is it an energy drink, but it has the great taste of a soda. And so one of their kind of slogans on this, it says, the taste, the quench, and the kick. Now, this is great stuff, but the only way you know that is what? You've got to open it, and you've got to drink it. Now, I could leave the can closed, right? But I'd never know how good this is. Here's a stat that, that I find very startling and, and 
problematic. 91% of people surveyed in the U.S. say that they own one of these. On average, the average home has three of these, three Bibles in it. 80% of people surveyed, and this is just people in general, it wasn't just Christians, they asked them about this book, and 80% said that they believe that this is the most important book that's ever been written. 58% said that they believe the Bible's true. And a lot of people go around and go, this is a good book. In fact, that's been nicknamed, The Good Book. People go, oh, this is precious, precious to me. Do you know what a lot of people do with this book? Get this. They put it in a vault, because this is where we put precious things, things that mean a lot to us. We put it in the vault, and we lock it up, and we go, man, the Bible, I'm telling you, it's something. It's amazing. I am taking really good care of my Bible, really good care of my Bible. It's in the vault. I know where my Bible is. It's in the vault. I, I keep it there. Oh, I love this book. Friends, i got to tell you something. You want to vault your faith. You, you want to take it to the next level. you got to get the book out of the vault. you got to take and get it out of the vault. And guess what? you got to open it. you got to open it. You know, I believe that this is more than a good book. I believe it's a guidebook for life. I believe it helps in making good decisions in your life, that it gives you that encouragement when, when you're hurting. It's a, it gives you an example for living. It is there to make a difference in life, but it doesn't help if it's in the vault. It doesn't help that you think it's a good book. It only helps when you take it out of the vault and you begin to read it. You know, begin to pay attention to it. You know, to, to allow it to build a foundation in your life. Once you get it out of the vault and you begin to open it, there's a couple ways you can taste this. One, one of the ways that, that we taste God's Word, you know, or several ways we do it, one of them is by hearing God's Word. By hearing God's Word. You know, Romans ten seventeen says this. So then faith comes by hearing and... He- Hearing by the Word of God. you got to hear the Word of God. That's what we're doing this morning. We're hearing a message in church about God. You might hear a message on the radio. You might hear a message on the Internet. The fact is, every time you hear a message, you hear God's Word, it begins to enable your life. It begins to empower your life. It will vault your faith to the next level. Now, that's good news, I think. But here's the bad news. The the fact is, we tend to forget 95% of what we've heard within 72 hours. Now, I'll be honest with you, that kind of gets me down. It does. I spend spend a, a chunk of time every week putting a message together, and what I know is three days from now, you will have forgotten 95% of what I said. And I think that's optimistic, the three-day thing. (laughs) 
I mean, some of you know, you know it's not enough. It's not enough just to hear it. In fact, some of you today, you're going to hear something, and you're going to get up out of your chair, and you're going to head out the doors, and you're going to go, I need to do that. You know what? I need to get a handle on this in my life. I need to change this. I need to get rid of this or whatever. And by the time you hit the parking lot, you already forgot. True? It's an amazing thing. The fact is, you've got to get a handle. One way is by hearing God's Word. The other is, you need to read God's Word. You need to read God's Word. That means you've got to open up the vault. You've got to take the Bible out. In some cases, you've got to go find your Bible and actually read this thing for myself. I mean, this book's a bestseller, friends. Bestseller of all time. It's, it's filled with stuff that we love to read about. It is. It's full of sin and sex and violence and all this stuff that, that you know, we get the greatest novels and we read those go, oh, yeah, I've read every one of Grisham's novels. Awesome stuff. But this book's packed full of that. It's also packed full of God's compassion. It's packed full of God working miracles in people's lives. I mean, this book's incredible. It has larger-than-life figures that you can read the stories about. I mean, men that fought against giants and won. People that were swallowed by fish and lived to tell about it. People that led nations to freedom. You know, this book has inspired so many people in their lives. Michelangelo, his art was inspired by the Word of God. You know, the plays of uh, William Shakespeare, the books of John Steinbeck. Today, films in Hollywood are still developed around God's Word. God's Word has ignited numerous freedom movements throughout the world. It has changed history. This Bible is jam-packed with inspiration. And it makes me want to ask, why do we struggle so much trying to read this thing? I mean, maybe we don't understand why God wants us to read it. You know, I think some people have the idea that, well, I I don't know, does God want to scare me? Uh, Does God want to scold me, you know, put me in a corner with things? Well, Scripture says this in Revelation 1. It says, happy is the one who reads the word of God's message. See, God wants us to read it so we'll be happy, so that he can bring joy into our life. You know, the joy of knowing what direction we're going to move in life. You know, the the joy of finding a solution when all you can see are problems that seems lost in in your life. The, The joy of finding encouragement when we're down and hurting. You know, finding hope when you believe hope's lost. You know, Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, verse 19 says, The scripture shall be his constant companion. He must read from it every day of his life, and he'll learn to respect the Lord his God by obeying his commandments. Now, that was written to the kings, but I believe that every one of us, that God wants us on a regular basis to read his word daily, on a daily basis, just to read his word and and to spend time in it. You know, why don't we read it more? Well, that's a hard one to say. I mean, I hear a lot of people say, well, I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. 
Let me ask you, does anybody play cricket? Anybody played cricket before? Anybody? All right. Have you ever seen cricket on TV? All right. When I was in college, uh, we had a guy in our dorm, uh, Dave Volstead. He was from Australia. And Dave loved to watch cricket. And I'll be honest with you, I thought it was a strange game. They wear really weird uniforms. Uh, you got a guy that bounces this little ball at a peg, and you got another guy that stands there with a bat that looks more like a canoe paddle, and, and he'll hit the ball into the outfield, and it's just a little dribble thing, and then he begins to run from peg to peg, and the crowd goes wild. I mean, they go crazy. And I watched the game a little bit, and I knew something exciting was happening, and I know that I should have been celebrating, but I'll be honest, I had no clue what was going on. No clue. And I think sometimes when we're reading God's word, we, we hit a verse and we say, you know what? I know this is important. I know I should be excited. But I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, there are lots of weird words in cricket. I was doing a little bit of study about the game, and there are bouncers and Yorkers. There's a play called a maiden over. Uh, you have things like out for a duck and, and wickets, and the players are called, get this, rabbits and ferrets. That's just weird. And I'm sure, I've got to be honest here, that our friends in Australia and in Europe uh, would say, well, you got a lot of room to talk. Your games are weird, too. They're strange. I mean, what's the difference between a, a touchback and a touchdown? You know, what's the difference between an end zone and the red zone? And, and you call your players quarterbacks and tight ends? That, that's just odd. That's weird. That's strange. Now, I enjoy football. Pittsburgh's coming to St. Louis, by the way. <laughs> I'm excited. But... I spent a lot of time early in my life trying to understand the game because I wanted to understand it so I'd know when to cheer. And I believe if I spent a lot of time studying the game of cricket that I could understand that game and I'd know what's important and I'd know when to, to celebrate and cheer. The fact is you can pick your Bible up and it's got weird words in it too like righteousness and justification. But I know if you spend a little bit of time and you make a small investment in your life, what you will find is you begin to understand. You begin to understand what's important and when to cheer. Just a little bit of time, friends, pays huge, huge, incredible dividends. You know, a couple suggestions if you're going to read this thing. Is one, get a translation that you can understand. This is important. Get a translation that you can understand. Now, I'm not knocking the King James Version, okay? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not knocking it. But it's 400 years old. Now, if you're 400 years old, it's a great translation for you. <laughs> but if you're a little bit younger than that, you're a little bit younger than that, get a modern translation. Now, if you grew up on King James and, and you understand it, uh, more power to you, all right? But the fact is... You, you've got to get a modern translation. Uh, the Message, New International, uh, 
New Revised, one, one of those. Talk to me afterwards. But you, you need to get a translation you understand. Second is, you need to adopt when you're going to read it and how you're going to read it. You ought to read it one book at a time. There are lots of books in this book. And so I know a lot of people skip around. You know, they just kind of go, okay, God, what do you want me to read today? Ah, well, that doesn't really work, all right? And I know the other thing, because people go, well, you read like other books. You start at the beginning, and you read through to the end. And everyone I've ever known that did that, they did pretty good through Genesis and Exodus. And then they hit Leviticus. And most of them get derailed. They never read any further because it's a really, really tough book to read. So what I want to do is give you permission to just skip to the New Testament. You know, pick one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I don't care which one. But read, begin reading there and read through the New Testament. And don't misunderstand me. Old Testament, very important. Very important. But if you read the New Testament, you'll find that you understand the Old Testament a little bit better. Now, you probably still won't enjoy Leviticus, but at least you'll understand parts of it. Do you, do you know if you spent 15 minutes a day, you could read the Bible in one year? 15 minutes a day. I mean, certainly it's worth that kind of investment. Not only change your worldview, it may change your life. In fact, I'd suggest to you it will. So first we've got to taste it. Now here's the quench. You've got to begin to study. You've got to begin to study God's Word. Tasting it, you hear God's Word, you read God's Word. But now we're going to start studying God's Word. Acts 17.11 says this, They accepted the message eagerly, and they studied the Scriptures every day. Now what's the difference between reading and studying? Well, things like you take notes. You make connections in your life. You, you can highlight in your Bible. You can write in your Bible. I write all over mine. I've worn out many, many Bibles through the years. And I know some of you are going, he writes in his Bible. He's going to get struck by lightning any minute, you know. And I know why we say that because you were, you were at a church you were growing up, you were little, first grade or something, and you had a Sunday school teacher that said, don't color in your Bible, that kind of thing. And we should treat the Bible with respect, but I would argue that by highlighting and writing and everything, that that's how this book becomes holy. Every time I wear one out, I have a hard time letting go of it because it's become very precious to me because I've poured so much of my thoughts into it and allowed God to, to speak to me through it. You know, why do we study? Why do we read? You know, why do we hear God's word? Is it just for information? No, no. God wants us to build a foundation for our lives. You see, when I listen, when I read, when I study, what I find is I begin to find answers for living. I begin to find encouragement. I begin to find hope and joy and peace. And I find that those things energize my life. You know, some of you have a hard time trusting God. And I would argue the reason why you can't trust God is because you don't know God. You know, and studying, studying God's words, one of the best ways to get to know God. In fact, I believe the Bible is God's invitation to a relationship with Him. 
I find when I read God's word, when I spend a little bit of time in, in God's word, that I begin to uh, find God speaking to me. You know, that God helps me with, with problems in, in my life. That uh, there are times where God says, you know what, you having problems? You know, having problems with your kids? Here's how you handle that. You know, sometimes God gets, gets in my face and says, I, I know you feel like there's no hope, but let me show you that there is hope for your life. There is hope that, that can be found. You know, when I, when I study, I begin to find a foundation for living. I begin to, to find that my relationship with God grows, but I got to study. I got to study. You also got to memorize God's word. Now, I just lost half of you right there. Half of you are going, okay, you had me, but I am not memorizing. I'm not going that. I am not doing it. And, and part of that's because when, when you were growing up, like about sixth grade or something, you were memorizing something and it was a really terrible experience or you found yourself in an embarrassing situation. And, and so you convinced yourself, you say, you know what, I'm not any good at it. You know, I just can't memorize. Oh, I mean, it's amazing. We memorize all the time. I mean, we memorize phone numbers, pin numbers. The fact that you made it here this morning, you memorized how to get here, right? I mean, we memorize stock quotes. And, and in fact, if we were to go around, we know hundreds and hundreds of lines to our favorite movies or shows, uh, I love guys, I'll be with guys sometimes, and they'll go, you know, I heard you talk about memorizing, I just can't do it, you know, and then they'll, they'll spout off like every football statistic since 1980, <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, come on, I mean, we know thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of lyrics to songs, here, we'll try one, I thought, okay, how about this, join with me if you know the song. Here's the story of a lovely lady, come on, who was bringing up three very, all them had hair of gold, like the other, the youngest one in. Here's the story of a man named Brady, who was busy with, then living all together. But they were all alone. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, wow. We had other people joining me there. All right. See, we memorize things that are important. All right. You get the point, right? I mean, we at least memorize things that are interesting to us. You know, Proverbs 7, verses 2 and 3 says... Guard my words as your most precious possession. Write them down and also keep them in your hearts. See, we're not just talking about memorizing for memorizing's sake. We're talking about getting a better grip on life. We're talking about getting a better grip on, on the truth, finding a foundation. You know, Psalms 119 says, I've hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. I mean, let me ask you, when temptation hits, when does it hit? Does it hit at a time where it's really convenient to say, huh, let me look and see what God has to say here. You know, usually it's not a convenient time to go grab the Bible. 
But friends, if you put a verse in your head in this vault, not this one, here. God will help you recall that verse when you're going through a tough time, when you're facing a difficult decision, in those times of depression and stress, God will pop that into your mind. And I'm going to be honest with you, many of you have not given God much to work with. I mean, at best for some, John 3.16, and I'm not talking about even knowing the verse. We just know the reference. Not a lot of help when you're in the pinch. The fact is, the more you give God to work with, get this, the more God's going to help you. The more God's going to help you. The fact is, I mean, how do you memorize? How do you memorize? Well, let me tell you this. Pick a verse that means something to you. Pick a verse that means something to you and drink it in. I mean, take it in, memorize it. Not one that means something to someone else. And the second thing is you've got to decide when you're going to memorize. When are you going to memorize? You know, maybe, maybe it's uh, in the morning. Maybe it's right before you go to bed. Decide how you're going to do it. Maybe you sing it. Maybe, maybe while you're exercising. For instance, just before you hit the treadmill, maybe you write a verse on, on a card. You know, something like First uh, Timothy that says, Physical exercise is of some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important. That'd be a good verse. You know, I think a great time is in your spare time, those down times when you're waiting at the doctor's office or you're sitting at a light. You know, maybe the next time someone doesn't move when the light turns green, just go, well, I bet they're studying their Bible. You know, um, <laughs> instead of what you want to think. Uh, you know, but memorize. And the other is meditate. Meditate on God's Word. And I know when I say the word meditate, most people think about clearing their minds, you know, kind of thing. But the Bible is exactly opposite of this. The Bible says that the idea of meditation is that we focus our minds on that verse or we focus our minds on God and we let God speak to us through his word. You know, to ask the question, how does that fit into my life? You know, what does that verse mean? What, what does it mean about the way that I talk to my spouse or the kind of attitude that I have today? You know, that's meditation. That's meditation. Psalms 2, it says, in fact, let's read this together. You ready? They love the Lord's teaching and they think about those teachings day and night. So they are strong like a tree planted by a river Everything they do will succeed. You meditate on God's word, friends, it's like planting in rich soil. When you get in that rich soil, that's where you're going to find success in life. When I get in the rich soil of God's word, that's where I'm going to find success for my life. You know, Proverbs 4.23, it says, Your life is shaped by your thoughts. What you think, friends, ultimately is what you'll become tomorrow. Meditation, I mean, it takes work. It takes work. Uh, there are a lot of ways to do it. Sometimes I read a passage, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I read it and nothing. I, I just, nothing. It's just like I, I go blank. But other times I read a, a verse, and it's an avalanche of thoughts. You know, sometimes I read a verse, and I begin to try and picture that verse, 
For instance, uh, the Psalms, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Just that thought there. I mean, I begin to try and picture, and, and, you know, how's God my shepherd? And I, I let that kind of run through my mind. I'll, I'll ask questions. What's that mean to me, that God's my shepherd? You know, how does God shepherd me? When was the last time God shepherded me? You know, what can I learn from that verse? Now, here's the kick. Here's the kick of it all. In James 1, 22, it says, Do not fool yourselves into just listening to the word. Instead, put it into practice. Put it into practice. Do God's word. Live it out in, in your life. See, I believe you can fool yourself. You can fool yourself. You, you come to church every week and you go, I hear a lot of messages about, about God. And, you know, I hear people talk a lot about the Bible. And I, I even attend several Bible studies. But you can fool yourself into thinking that you're growing spiritually, that great things are happening in your relationship with God. And, friends, I want to tell you, don't fool yourself. Don't set yourself up. In other words, if we, if we were all to hit the gym today and all of you are working out and I come strolling in and I walk in, get a chair, kick back, eat Doritos, watch you guys work out. And when you're finished, if I got up and I go, wow, what a workout. Man, that was something. Whew. Honestly, you may do this anyway, but you'd walk away and go, you know what, Damon, you're very strange. You're very strange. You're weird. And you, you fool yourselves. You fool yourselves by not doing anything in your own life. You know, we've been talking about, about vault. Well, I want to tell you, there's another vault in our life. And one of these days, they're going to put me down into a vault. There's going to be a stone right above my vault. And it's going to say 1962-whatever. What happens between the dash is my life. That's my life. And, you know, what are you going to do there? What are you going to do there? I mean, I, I think that's a great question when you're reading God's Word, when you're studying. What am I going to do? What am I going to do when, when you're in a Bible study to walk away and say, what are you going to do when you leave today to say, what will I do with what God said to me? You know, you can flip it around. It's even uh, gets more pointed. I will do da, 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 da. And I is important because you notice how easy it is to um, take and Decide what other people need to do. In fact, some of you, as I've been talking, you go, well, I wish so-and-so was here so they could hear this. See, it's easy to figure out what someone else should do. You know why? Because they got to do it. But it's a lot harder when I've got to do it. You know, it's easy to get one of these today. You can find it in almost any bookstore. But one of the things, I don't want you to lose sight of what this thing costs for you to have one of these Bibles, to be able to go home and take it off a shelf or go to the store and buy one. I mean, 
1,500 years ago, only the elite had these. Only a few people were allowed to hold a Bible. And you had to know Greek and Hebrew and Latin. But 1,500 years ago, a guy named William Tinsdale came on the scene, and you know what he did? He translated this into English so you could read it, so you could have one. And for that crime alone, the only crime of his life, he was burned at the stake because some people thought you shouldn't have this, that this stuff was way too dangerous to put in your hand. I mean, you have the opportunity to, to hold this and to read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it, allow it to impact your life. You know, John says, now that you know these things, do them. Do what's in them. This is a path of blessings. It's full of it. So here's my question. What are you going to do with this book? See, you've got to take it out. You've got to take it out of that vault. You've got to take it out of the vault. You've got to open it up. Put it in this vault and let it impact this vault. What are you going to do with it? We're going to take a piece of music here and just let God speak to you with, with this.